Well, good morning. How are we doing? Man, it is so good to be with you guys. And I just, I got to say, you have an incredible staff that loves you and serves you here at Chapel Point. Uh, yesterday when the power went out, man, we just sent the team into action and they were finding out some needs in the community and how we could best serve them. And then they all of a sudden were like, wait, the church doesn't have power. How are we going to do this? And so, man, the team hustled. They got generators. Like, we were ready to go. You heard uh, Josh tell you guys that. The team is ready to do whatever we can to serve you guys and to make sure that we get to stand with arms high and heart abandoned so that the name of Jesus is made known. And so I just got to brag on them, but let you guys know our team is here to serve you. So whatever needs you guys have or whatever needs you guys experience in the community moving forward this week because of the crazy storm um, over the weekend, man, please let us know how we can serve you guys. We have a team, we have volunteers, we have just an incredible team that would love to serve so that we can be a catalyst for spiritual awakening. When we serve in the community, it's not so that people go, wow, well done, Chapel Point, that was just great. No, it's so that it can be a catalyst that hearts would be awakened and that lives would be changed and transformed by the power of Holy Spirit so that they can encounter who Jesus is. And that's our goal. And so if there's anything that we can do in the next weeks, months, years, whatever, to serve you or to serve the community, I just gotta say, Raise your hand, open your mouth, and let us know because we're here to serve you guys. Is that fair? Are you guys on board with that? Cool, because then what's going to happen is as we get involved in community, we're going to ask you guys to serve with us. Is that cool? Yeah. All right, so that's where we're at. But hey, I'm excited to be here, you guys, with you this morning. And it was about a year ago that I hopped on a van with some of your crazy high schoolers, and we headed to Colorado last summer for an adventure. And we got to base camp, and we're getting ready to get our gear climbed, and we're hiking up these mountains, and we sent out a few different teams on some different trails. And man, it, the guys group, they're all macho and manly, and all of a sudden we take off, and it's like a straight, like, mile vertical. Like, it was an insane, like, hey, this is, you guys are going to hurt after a while. We get to our, like, kind of our base camp up there, and we're like, I'm dying. I'm like, oh, that was great, guys. Let's not do that again. And we're hiking, we're getting up there. But it was easier, even though it was a difficult climb because of the incline, it was pretty easy because the trail was marked out for us. And we had these awesome guides that were leading us through there. Then what happens, after a night's rest, we wake up the next day, and the guides grab a compass and a map, and they handed it to the high schoolers and said, hey, here's these lakes. They're beautiful. They're mountaintop lakes. Get us there. And me and my, I was like, I want to go to the lake. That would be awesome. But you just gave the compass to the high school guys. Like, we're never going to make it. We're not going to get there. And guess what? We didn't get there. <laughs> we didn't make it. But they had the compass. The team was working together. God used it. They were learning. It was awesome. And we had a great experience. But man, we were so lost in the backcountry in these woods. And they took this wild trail that wasn't a trail. We're hopping over creeks and rocks but they're trying to follow this compass. And what I, as I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about the passage that we're going to look at in the story of Nicodemus, every one of us has a journey. Every one of us has a path that God has for us and has a destination for us in mind. But sometimes the road's a little tricky. Sometimes the path is unclear. And sometimes even when you have the tools and the thing is right there in front of you, the map says, lake's here, go this way. Sometimes we don't get there. And what we're going to see today in the encounter with Nicodemus, when he meets Jesus face to face, he finds the way, the truth, and the life, and yet somehow he misses him in the beginning. 
But praise be to God, he is never done with us. That through the book of John, we're going to see how Nicodemus' life is changed by Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and say, God has a journey for you. Okay, we're going to wake up a little bit. That was a little delayed reaction there. We're going to wake up, okay? So I want you to turn to the other side and try this again. Say, God has a journey for you. I love it. There we go. Now we're a little awake. I love it. So what's going to happen that throughout the stories, we're going to see these moments in, the, in Nicodemus' story where his life continues to change because he's on a journey that God has already set out for him. And I just want you to just be mindful that Holy Spirit is here and he's speaking to each and every one of us this morning. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to turn to the book of John chapter 3, and then we're going to jump to a couple other passages in a minute. We're going to read it all the way through, but I just want to pray. Thank God for his work in us and through us, and that he is here right now, and ask Holy Spirit to make these words come alive, because that's what the book of Hebrews tells us, that the word of God is alive and active. It's at work here and now. So God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we get to gather together in the name of Jesus that you are writing a story, God, and you have set out a journey for each and every one of us. And so, God, I pray that you would awaken something in us this morning that would allow us to take a next step of faith, a next step towards you, God, because you have provided the way, the truth, and the life in your son, Jesus Christ. So, Holy Spirit, we are yours. Fill this place. Make your word come alive that we would be the men and the women and the kids and the students you have made us to be right now. We love you and praise the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Book of John, chapter 3. So we have this story of a man named Nicodemus. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Nicodemus, just a little backstory, is a Pharisee. But not only is he a Pharisee, he's actually part of the Sanhedrin, which is the 70-person council. These are the religious leaders that the Roman government still allows to essentially play um, pretend government over the Jewish people. They had power, they had authority, they had prestige, but only because the Roman government let them have that as a way to uh, bring the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, into their culture. But these Sanhedrin people were Pharisees. They wanted to please God. They wanted to serve God like we talked last week. The goal of the Pharisees was, was to make sure their relationship with God was right in everything they did. But they went so far because they wanted to do it in their own strength. Jesus shows up on the scene. And he's performing miracles and he's preaching, he's teaching. And now he's showed up into the middle of Jerusalem in the Passover uh, season. And there's some guys that are wondering, huh, who is this man, Jesus? And so we're going to pick up there. We're just going to read the text all the way through. So if you can follow along on the screens. But we just need to get a glimpse of this encounter. We could spend so much time and so many weeks unpacking all this. But we're going to do a quick run through on this. So hang, hang with me here. So now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, meaning he's a part of the Sanhedrin. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So notice there, they recognize something about Jesus. God is at work, and so they're asking these questions. Jesus responds, verse 3, and answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born in the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness of what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Notice that title that Jesus gives himself there. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We get to one of our favorite verses in the scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. And I want you to key in on this idea. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because of their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This passage is fascinating because you have this religious leader coming to meet Jesus. Then you have so much theological meat that is there. You must be born again. That salvation is a work of God and not of man. It's a work of the Spirit. And you have this conversation about light and dark. I want you to understand something about the book of John. He starts, and you heard Josh read earlier, that in the beginning was God. It was the Word, and that Word was God, and the Word was with God. And it goes on to say that Jesus, that Word, is the light, and that light is the life of men. John throughout all of his writings, plays with this idea of darkness and light, this juxtaposition of really our, our reality, that in the flesh, we are in darkness. In Jesus Christ, when we are made alive by the Holy Spirit, we are in the light. We are children of the light. And I thought it was going to be really awesome to not have power in here to be talking about light and dark, and, uh, but thankfully we got power in AC. I'm super thankful for that. Um, but this is such an important thing that John carries out through this story. And I want you to understand something. Nicodemus, in his journey that we're going to find out, walks from darkness to the shadows, if you will, still trying to figure out who Jesus is, and then he walks into the light. And I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you don't know who Jesus is, and you haven't put your trust in the saving faith of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit has not awakened you. I invite you this morning to let Holy Spirit do a work and to say, hey, you're in darkness. Or maybe some of us in this place, we know who Jesus is and we're still wrestling with that. I believe, but yet I don't fully understand. And you're kind of in the shadow, this twilight kind of zone. And some of us, we know who Jesus is and we're walking as children of the light. Continue in that. Wherever you are on that journey, this morning is the, the question that we need to wrestle with is, are you willing to take the next step?
So I want to look at this passage real briefly, and I want us to key in on a few ideas. He talks about being born again. How Nicodemus says, how am I supposed to be born again? Can I enter back into my mother's womb and be born again? Nicodemus would have been an old man by then, so he's just like, this doesn't make any sense. But what he's actually calling out to is his Jewish ancestry. He's saying, just because you are Jewish and you are God's chosen people, there has been prophecies told that a Messiah is coming and there's going to be a work of Holy Spirit in us. Your salvation and your ethnicity and your socioeconomic, that is not the thing that saves you, but is the inworking of the Holy Spirit. You must be born again. You must be made new from the inside out. We don't make ourselves clean before God from the outside in. Salvation and being born again, made new in the image of God, starts by God inside and it works itself out. That's what he's wrestling with. You must be born again. We see that in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Part of the conversation that's happening here has been the Jewish customs to be made a Jew, that you would have to be baptized, washed and immersed in water and come out of the water as a new, as a Jewish follower. He, so he's tying these things together for Nicodemus, but he's giving a bigger picture of what they're for. You must be born of the water and of spirit. He's saying your customs, yes, those are helpful, but there's something even greater, and that's the work of the spirit. Now, I want to say here, we believe as we walk through Scripture that baptism is not your salvation. You are not saved just because you got dunked in some water and you're brought out of that. You're not saved because of your religious affiliation to Chapel Point or whatever church. You are saved by the work of the Spirit. It's not your customs. It's not your practices. It is a work of the Spirit. But what happens is whenever we are baptized and immersed in water, we are saying, I identify with Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. And if you want to know more about that, I definitely want to invite you on August 11th. We're having a baptism class. But it doesn't save you. It is not salvific. It is not because someone holds you underwater for a quick second and brings you up that you're saved. It's because God has done something in you that you're willing to go and make your faith public and saying, I will identify with Jesus Christ. And so we invite you, if you've never been baptized, or you want to know more about baptism, come to that class and get baptized so that other people know who Jesus is, that they can encounter him because of you. He continues this conversation. You must be born of water and of spirit. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Again, it's a work of God. It doesn't matter your family heritage. It doesn't matter where you come from. It is God who is at work making a new family, the kingdom of God. And you're all invited to be a part of that family. You are all, y'all, the proper southern plural you, right? Y'all is invited. You like that good grammar right there? Mm-hmm. Y'all is invited into the family. Y'all are invited to be a part of the family of God. Let him do the work in you so that he can continue to work through you. He goes on this conversation and he says, do not marvel that I said you must be born again. Verse eight, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. We got a, a testament to like 
what the wind does this past weekend, right? We are, all of a sudden the wind starts blowing. Last, or a couple nights ago, my wife starts waking me up and she's like, you know, were your windows up in the car? It starts to rain um, and our whole house is kind of shaking. Then she wakes up the next morning and she goes, Luke, Luke, our trampoline hopped the fence and just took out the neighbor's house. And I was like, what? I'm like tripping out because I sleep really hard and I, I miss the whole like party for the most part. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So we run outside, and sure enough, our trampoline now looks like some sort of spider thing with all its net, and it is leaned up against our, right by our neighbor's house. And I'm just like mortified, because i like, oh my goodness, this is horrendous. Like, it's going to damage the garage door. What's going to happen? Luckily, it just took out their basketball goal that had been there a long time, so we'll get that fixed, hopefully. Um, and, uh, but our trampoline is all mangled, and it got picked up and thrown over our fence and into our neighbor's yard. The crazy thing about it, though, is in my front yard, I had a six-foot aluminum ladder because I was doing some work on the outside of the house. Guess what didn't move? That six-foot aluminum ladder, but my trampoline's going to fly over the neighbor's yard and hit their basketball goal? These things don't make sense, right? They don't make sense. That is the same way the Holy Spirit works. It may not make sense, but God is at work. Jesus tells Nicodemus. God is at work. Do you trust? Do you have faith? The wind blows where it wishes, but you do not know where it comes. So everyone who is born of the Spirit, it's the similar idea. John is actually writing this, and he's he's playing with words here. He's using the Greek word pneuma, which in some ways can be translated as wind, and in some ways spirit. God is at work, and sometimes we just don't know how but he's at work, friends. So how can we trust? How can we continue to have faith? And he goes on to have this conversation with Jesus. And there's this this moment of not understanding, it seems like, in Nicodemus' story. And he says, Nicodemus, I wish I could tell you heavenly things and deeper things, but you're finding it hard to believe the things I'm just telling you for face value. I want you to have a deeper relationship with me. You have to have faith and let the Holy Spirit work inside of you. And so as we think about this story, and he gives this beautiful passage in John 3.16, his heartbeat, his mission, that the world would be saved through him, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, here and now, to redeem and save. And we don't really see how the conversation ends. But what I want us to see, and if you have your Bibles, um, the scriptures won't be on the screen, but we're going to take a quick journey through the book of John. And I want you to notice something, that Nicodemus continues to show up. Nicodemus is this character that John wants us to really understand. Because guess what? We all have a journey of faith. And Nicodemus is walking the journey that many of us have and will. So John chapter 7, if you want to flip over there. John chapter 7, verse 40. John chapter 7, verse 40. They're having this conversation among the Sanhedrin, and they're getting frustrated. They're getting angry of what, what's going on with Jesus, that there's this constant uproar that who Jesus is, and can he trust them? And he's, he's messing with their customs and challenging them. So when they heard these words, some of the people said, this, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Could anything good come from a podunk town like Galilee? 
Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village? So they're having this conversation about the prophecies. So there's division among the people over him, among the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin. They're having this debate. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? Because they sent them to secretly arrest Jesus and to bring him with charges illegally before them. And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered him, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? Meaning this cannot be so. No Pharisee, no officer should believe in Jesus. He is not the Messiah. He is not the son of man. Verse 49, but this crowd that does not know the law is a curse. So they begin to curse the crowds around them if they began to believe in Jesus. Verse 50, Nicodemus, there is our friend. He shows up again. And notice what John does. He says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them. Notice he references back to this encounter in John chapter 3. He's already had this conversation with Jesus. Holy Spirit's been stirring something in him. Now Nicodemus is at a crossroads. Is he going to continue to be the religious leader who has not encountered Jesus, or is something going to shift inside of him that he can trust and follow after Jesus? And he speaks up. Verse 51. Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. He gets made fun of in front of his brothers, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, because he asks a question, can we actually do this? When they're just looking for another yes man to get on board and say, this is not our Savior. This is not our Messiah. Surely you can't believe that God would come from Galilee or that God would work in this man. This is not our way. But Nicodemus speaks up. So I want to ask you a question this morning. If you're taking notes, kind of calling back to the, the passage we just read, but then also um, the second fill, fill in the blank for you guys. Are we willing to ask hard questions and listen for hard truths? Are we willing to ask hard questions and listen for hard truths? Nicodemus asks some hard questions. Who are you, Jesus? How can I be born again? How can I be saved? Is this really how it's going to work, a work of the Spirit. But what we begin to see in chapter 7 is he was willing to listen to hard truths. He was willing to listen to the hard truths that would challenge everything he believed in his way of life. And we began to see Nicodemus take a step of faith, a step of to stand up and to speak out. So the second question I want to ask you guys, are we willing to stand up and speak out after we've encountered Jesus? That we would actually allow our minds to be transformed by the work of the Spirit. That then we would allow our hearts to be changed because when you have convictions and you're wrestling with those things, you have to stand up and you have to speak out. Otherwise, you betray yourself. Nicodemus finds himself in that crossroads and he's, Everybody's trying to convict Jesus and get rid of the problem. But Nicodemus says there's something about this man. There's something about Jesus. And he stands up and he speaks out. So then what happens next? What's the next step in the journey of faith in Nicodemus? Turn to the book of John, chapter 19. 
book of John, chapter 19. Jesus has been falsely accused. He's been sentenced to the cross. The criminal's execution for the man who's not sinned. The man who's not made a mistake. The savior of the world, the son of God, who Colossians tells us by his very nature holds all things together. As a nail to a cross and a spear pierces his side and blood and water flows. It's a horrific mess. It's tragic. The son of God dies for you and for me. This is the same Jesus who told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the son of man must be lifted high. Just like in the Old Testament when Moses lifted up the bronze snake and the people looked at that, they were healed because they were being attacked by poisonous snakes. Jesus himself is lifted high. And when people look to Jesus on the cross, they find forgiveness of their sins. That the blood is washed over every sin. Psalm 51, they are as white as snow. Your sins were nailed to that cross thousands of years ago. They are no longer yours to carry. Jesus paid it all. Nicodemus is there at the crucifixion. And guess what he sees? The Son of Man lifted high. Jesus passes away. And then look what happens. Verse 38 of chapter 19. After these things, after the death of Jesus and the His side is pierced and blood and water flow. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, another member of the Sanhedrin, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. And he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also. So we've seen Nicodemus from John chapter 3. Who is this Jesus? Rabbi, teacher, help me understand these things. Then we see him stand up and have to deal with the reality of who Jesus is. Could he be who he says he is? The Savior, the Son of Man, the one I've been waiting for. And he stands up and he speaks out. And now we find him in John chapter 19 at the crucifixion where he sees the Son of Man lifted high and with his brother of the Sanhedrin, Joseph Arimathea, he helps take Jesus off the cross. He's walked this journey from darkness to the shadows, to this resting place, this gray area. Who is he? And in the darkness of the death of our Savior that we worship and serve today, Nicodemus steps into the light. Nicodemus moves from darkness to light because he sees who Jesus is. Now let's continue to read. 
and Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus. Notice that. He calls back to that moment in John 3. The author, John, is saying, guys, pay attention to the story. It all goes back to John chapter 3. Jesus is who he says he is, and his mission is to save the world. And he wants to save you, Nicodemus. He wants to save you, friends, sitting in these great chairs right now. He wants you to find full life in him right now. Are we going to walk the journey from darkness to light? And I want you to notice what happens next. And bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial customs of the Jews. Now in place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Joseph and Nicodemus bury their Savior. Covered in the blood of Jesus, they bury their Savior. But what we see that John highlights for us is 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. This is expensive. This is funeral preparations and spices for the body fit for a king. This is not how you bury a common criminal or a nobody from Galilee. Nicodemus has walked from darkness to the shadows to light, and he recognized that Jesus is not just a rabbi and a teacher and a good person, but he is the king. He is the king of kings, and all that he has, he gives now to the king. In honor of who Jesus is, he gives it away, something fit for a king. He moves from, I don't know who Jesus is, but he seems to be wise, so I might listen and ask questions, to surrender to the king. I ask you this morning, have you surrendered to the king? Because we know the story, don't we? Jesus doesn't stay there, right? Right? Jesus is no longer in the tomb. The story is not over and neither is Nicodemus' story because he will continue to follow the king because he has surrendered and he is now a child of the light. The story is not over for you. Wherever you find yourself along the journey of faith, the story's not over. Your encounter with Jesus is to continue to take another step towards him, to recognize who he is as the king, as the Lord of lords, as the savior. Are we going to take those steps of faith? And I don't know what those look like for you. That's why we're here in community it's why we have small groups. It's why we have starting point and membership. It's why we get together as a congregation or a congregational gathering to do life together, to help one another walk this journey of faith. We see Nicodemus in the beginning come to Jesus at night so we could have a conversation with him. And we see him at the foot of the cross with another brother, Joseph, in community, walking and recognizing who Jesus is as king and as savior. So I want to ask a couple questions of you this morning as a way of application to help us take those next steps. Are you willing to listen to the spirit that is telling you that you're wrong? That you may have missed something? There's a, a form of evangelism that, uh, that people would walk up and, to other people and say, hey, 
if what you believe isn't true, would you want to know? And kind of the assumption is, well, of course, I, I, of course I want to know if, if what I believe is not true. I want, I want to stand on truth, and I want to live in light of that. Are you actually willing to say that? If you didn't know the way, the truth, and the life, would you want to know that? Are you willing to help allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and tell you you may be missing the boat, that some of your actions may be wrong, that you need to repent and you need to recognize that Jesus is king and if he is king, then he has authority. And if he has authority, then we got some work to do. Are you willing to listen, to repent and say, I'm wrong, but I'm willing to surrender. I'm wrong, but I'm gonna trust. I may be wrong and I may not have it all figured out, but I'm gonna take a step of faith towards Jesus in community, towards the light Sin and separation from God, all it wants to do is isolate you and hold you up in the darkness. But Jesus is calling you into the light through his death, burial, and resurrection. And he's saying, wake up. Wake up. Wake up to this living hope that I have in you. And another question I want to ask us, are you going to allow God's truth to determine what you stand for? Are you going to allow God's truth to determine what you stand for? Jesus, again, in John 14, 6, says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Nicodemus found that to be true, that Jesus is the way, not his religious practice, not his understanding. He found that Jesus Christ alone is the way. He found that Jesus is the truth, and he had to stand up and speak out against the injustice and the things that were not true. And what we find is that in Jesus' death, Nicodemus finds life because he found Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And guess what? Nicodemus knows the Father. You can know the Father. You can have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not, will not, ever perish. That you would have eternal life. And this is eternal life, John tells us, that you know Jesus. You can live eternally today. Eternity doesn't start when your time on this earth ends. It starts today with worship and praise of who God is. And so I invite you, friends, brothers, sisters, people I don't know. There's nothing special about any of us on our team. But what we do know is we have life in Jesus Christ. And we invite you to believe, to be born again by the Holy Spirit made new Holy Spirit that he would waken you up to a living hope in every situation that you would take a step of faith a bold step of faith today that you would walk from darkness to light Jesus is the way the truth and the life like the compass and the map and I trust him with you all that he will guide you and he will get you to the destination he has set out before you. Isn't that good news? He's at work here. Trust him. Follow him.
believe in him. God, we thank you for your work in us. We thank you for your spirit that is here and now. Your spirit that is calling us to life. Eternal life here and now. We thank you for the story of Nicodemus. Because it's our story. It's our story, God. And so I pray for each and every one of us that we would continue that journey of faith, that we would continue to take next steps to trust you in every area of our lives, God. There is a way that seems right to man, Proverbs tells us, God, but in the end it leads to death. We choose this morning to follow you, the life, the truth, and the way, Jesus. Would you awaken in us, God, something more like Nicodemus asked for? Don't let us miss the work of your spirit here. Don't let us miss you, God, for whatever customs or whatever family heritage or whatever circumstance we find ourselves, good, bad, difficult, easy, whatever it looks like. God, don't let us miss you. Spirit work. Awaken us. We are your church, God. Forgive us when we don't take the steps of faith you've called us to. There's so much hurting. There's so much darkness, but you've called us to be the light, a city on a hill that should not be hidden. Awaken us, God. Awaken us. We are yours. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us. If any of my brothers or sisters here, God, if they are not awake, would you open their eyes this morning and whisper your deep love for them? A love that removes the sins as far as the east is from the west. A love that breathes hope and quietly whispers peace. A love that reconciles and redeems all things because you're a good God, and you're a good king. So Jesus, we submit to you. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.